Good morning. Isn't it nice that summertime is on the way? Yeah, we're getting closer every day. Awesome. I really want to welcome all of you guys who are here. And uh, last night, we had some issues. Our internet was down, so our services that we streamed to everybody in the rest of the world was unavailable. So we're glad to have folks back online this morning, all you guys here, down in our cafe, up in the balcony, and uh, glad we're getting closer to summertime. I'm ready to go fishing. <laughs> I know, but when you go ice fishing, you got to cut this great big long hole in the ice so you can cast and all. Okay, all right. Well, we started talking last week about the most important things. Does anybody remember what that was? Wisdom. And I, I surely hope that uh, you took our advice on what to do as we start off 2018. It's not too late to start if you weren't here, but we really challenged everybody to begin to read the book of Proverbs. One proverb a day will get you through the whole book of Proverbs in a month's time. There's only 31 there. You can start back over because wisdom is absolutely amazing and the book of Proverbs was written so you and I could have wisdom. And wisdom is the most important thing. That's why we call this service the most important thing because we're going to talk about it. Uh, there was a, uh, a photographer... I was reading about, and uh, he was working for a, a national a magazine, and he was assigned to get photos of an enormous forest fire. But smoke at the scene hindered him, so he asked his home office to hire a plane. Arrangements were made, and he was told to go at once to a nearby airport where the plane would be waiting. When he arrived at the airport, a plane was warming up near the runway. He jumped in with all of his equipment and yelled, let's go, let's go. The pilot swung the plane into the wind and they soon were in the air. Fly over the north side of the fire, yelled the photographer. Make three or four low-level passes. Why, asked the pilot. Because I'm going to take pictures, cried the photographer. I'm a photographer. Photographers take pictures. <laughs> After a pause... The pilot said, you mean you're not the flight instructor? <laughs> Somebody was just getting it now, I see. Before you jump into an airplane, find out if the guy in the, behind the, the wheel there is a student or the pilot, okay? But um, just here's a, the foundation of our series I shared it last week with you in Proverbs 4, 7. And it says, getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. And whatever else you do, get good judgment. It's the most important thing. Y'all remember what I did last week? What did I have here? An axe. We stabbed an axe into the platform up here. And then we read this passage. And just as a little reminder, a little review, in Ecclesiastes 10.10, 10, it says, Since a dull axe requires strength, sharpen the blade. 
That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. And a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who will learn wisdom can do half as much work and accomplish twice as much results. A man or a woman who does not have wisdom will work harder than anybody and accomplish a whole lot less than everybody else. Wisdom changes things. Wisdom is taking time to sharpen the axe. God says in his infinite wisdom, he says wisdom is the most important thing, the most important thing, and with all that get, you know, good judgment. And see, wisdom is the application of knowledge. You can get all kinds of an education, all kinds of knowledge, and, and schools of higher learning and schools of lower learning. You know, from kindergarten on up, you can get all kinds of an education, but if you don't know how to apply it, what good is it to you? Well, listen to what the Bible says here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Anyone, this is Jesus talking, anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid stone. Now, I think I have something here. <laughs> I better move my glasses. That would be wisdom, wouldn't it? Okay. All right. I'll just lay that there. I'll put these over here. <clears throat> Let me read it again. Jesus said, anyone, <clears throat> this includes us all, who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise, like a person who builds a house or a household on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents, we familiar with rain? We are. And the floodwaters rise. Anybody have water in your basement last week, you know? A few, okay. And the winds beat against that house. It won't collapse because it's built on rock. A wise man builds his house on rock. You say, well, we're going to build a real nice house if we can build a bigger house if we don't invest in putting in a foundation. We're just going to build it right on the grass, you know? You know that's a foolish mistake because the house won't stand very long if you don't pour, you know, a foundation. Concrete, they usually put rebarb in it and all, and the bigger your foundation, the bigger the house that you can build. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 says, A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense versus nonsense. Verse 4 says, Through knowledge its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. A wise man is mightier than a strong man. You got a choice between being wise or strong? Go for wisdom. A wise man is mightier than a strong man, and a man of knowledge is more powerful than a strong man. Ecclesiastes 7.19 says, A wise person, 
is stronger than 10 leading citizens of the town. Uh, and other translations would say a valiant, valiant generals. Uh, a wise person is stronger than 10 leading citizens of a town. Now listen to what the scriptures tells us. It echoes that sentiment. Ecclesiastes 9.13 says, One day, as I was observing how wisdom fares on the earth, I saw something that made me sit up and take notice. There was a small town with only a few people in it, and a, a strong king came and mounted an attack, building trenches and attack posts around it. And there was a, what does that say? A poor but wise man in that town whose wisdom saved the town. A poor man with wisdom, and it's his idea that saved the town. Verse 17 says, The quiet words of a wise person are better than the shouts of a foolish king. Verse 18 says, A wise person can overcome weapons of war. A wise person can overcome weapons of war. When Alexander the Great was marching against the city of Lamsicus to destroy it, Anachamenes came to intercede for the city. Alexander, in order to frustrate his purpose, took an oath that he would not grant him anything that he should ask for. Anachamenes requested that Alexander destroy his city. And Alexander respected his oath, and the city was spared. There's a situation of a man with wisdom. He saved his town. That's in history. The Bible says it happened in Bible times. A man with wisdom or a woman with wisdom, you're stronger than weapons of war. When the Bible says that wisdom is the most important thing, it truly is. It truly is. And it will change your life. And we studied it last week. He promises us the men, the women who learn wisdom will succeed. And I believe that every one of us here in 2018, we want to succeed. And everything that we set our hand to, and a wise man and a wise woman will succeed. Let me pick back up here in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, picking up in verse 13. It says, my child eat honey, for it's good, and the honeycomb is sweet to the taste. In the same way, wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, you will have a bright future in your hopes. Hopes is talking about your expectations for the future, and your hopes will not be cut short if you pursue and find wisdom. Now let's pick back up over here in Matthew chapter 7 where we were reading about building a house on stone. Jesus continues here in Matthew 7, 26. He says, But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores, ignores it, which means just pays it no attention. Anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. 
Now you probably assume there's some sand around here somewhere, right? And you would be right. Now, if you were going to build a house, you're going to invest thousands of dollars in a home. Are you going to build it on solid rock? Or are you going to build it on something like this? I was going to throw it out in the congregation, but I deemed that wouldn't be wisdom. <laughs> How many of you have ever been down to the beach when you were a child and you built some little sandcastles? Cool, you know? And you can just start off just building a little old something that looks pretty good. So you begin to expand, you know? And there's, you know, more rooms and more rooms, and it, boy, it's looking pretty good. You got towers and. And then all of a sudden you recognize that you built pretty close to the water and the tide is coming in. What happens when a wave hits your castle? It begins to dissolve. It's gone. No matter how much effort. Now, is there anything that you can do to save that castle? The answer is no. Because I tried. <laughs> when I was a kid, you would build this big boat in a wall of sand. And that'll sure stop them waves from tearing up my castle. But the waves keep on coming in and coming in. And before you know it, where your castle was at, there's nothing but water. Well, listen to what the Bible says. And let's don't fool ourselves in thinking we're a special exception. He says here in Matthew 7, 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come, and they will. Have you had rains and floods come toward you? Physical ones and spiritual ones. And the winds beat against the house or against your household. It will fall with a mighty crash. It genuinely will. It will fall with a mighty crash. Hmm. Now, you know, when I was in, uh, actually when I was in junior high and then high school, I, uh, I took an art class. Now, I didn't take an art class to learn art. At that point, I considered myself an artist already. It just gave me time during school to do artwork. That was my logic back in those days. And I painted and I sculptured and I used every medium that was available to me to do artwork. And we entered many of our art pieces in uh, contests and all. And I won some ribbons and things like that. And uh, it's, it's fun, you know. Anybody, anybody here an artist do a little painting or sculpture or something like that? So, anyhow... I just happen to have a few little tools here with me.
don't make me nervous. You're so quiet. Father, we just got those people off in the distance over here, that emergency vehicle going. Somebody's in trouble. It might be somebody we know. And we ask that you would help them. And those who are responding, help them, Lord, to be of assistance and draw them both into yourself. Meet their needs, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I learned, <clears throat> I learned years ago what you can do, oh, this is an art class, so we would make our paint very, very thin, you know, and it would be very watery, and then you could take some colors and you could make X's across the screen, and you could use a little bit of other color, make some X's across the screen, or something like that, and then you'd use your hand, and then you would go, and you would smear it, and they would all run together, and you could make the most beautiful backdrop to paint on, Beautiful sunset, sunrise, and things like that. That was just to get you started. You still had to do all the other work. I can't do the whole thing. I really don't have time. Maybe another time. Even though I'm not going to have it finished, you don't want to see it now, wait till next week. <laughs> Who is patient? We're going to talk about patience next week. <laughs> next month, okay. All right. Ready? <laughs> what you laughing at? You don't see there's a black Angus cow there in a big, beautiful green meadow? We, he ate all the grass and he laughed, you know. <laughs> now, this is actually a picture of a couple weeks ago. You go, Pastor Ron, that's kind of a dirty trick. It's really not. It's really not. Let me, let me read you this verse once again. Uh, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will fall with a mighty crash because there's no wisdom. And what is wisdom? It's the application of knowledge. And though we find this a little discouraging when I made no application of paint, what would have happened if I had applied the paint that I had? I could have possibly had something really that you would have considered a masterpiece. What happens when we fail to apply God's word? And he's, he's doing his best to make a masterpiece in us. But what happens if we fail to apply his word, which, which is fantastic and wonderful, and it brings about good judgment, it, it brings about transformation, but when we fail to apply the knowledge that we learn from him, it really doesn't make a masterpiece. And you can see, it's like it's a little discouraging when you... You, you do all the work, you've got the easel, you've got the canvas, you've got all the tools to do it, but you fail to apply the paint. 
It's kind of like foolish. Why waste all the time? And I could have worked all day or two or three days doing this. You would have considered that foolish, would you not? Because we fail to apply the paint to the canvas. It's kind of like failing to apply God's word to our lives. And when we can be a masterpiece, we're just kind of sitting there accomplishing very, very little. Let me put these things here away. I'm going to put my glasses back down there. Okay. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, I know very well how foolish the message of the cross sounds. You know, the gospel, Jesus coming to earth, dying on a cross, we all get to go to heaven, you know, all that. He says, I know very well how foolish the message of the cross sounds, how, how it seems to a lot of other people. I know very well how foolish the message of the, gospel, of the cross sounds to those who are on the road to destruction. So you got to understand when somebody thinks going to a, a Bible teaching church, reading that Bible, studying that book, applying it to your life, when they think it's foolish, it's an indication they are on the road to destruction. That's what the Bible says here, you know. Because it's not foolish when you're applying these things to our lives. <clears throat> it's life-changing. But he goes on to say here, but we who are being saved recognize this message, the message of the cross. We recognize this message as the very power of God. Brings about transformation. Makes a way where there seemed to be no way. Verse 19 says, as the scriptures say, I will destroy. What's the next two words? Human wisdom. You know there's human wisdom versus wisdom that comes from above. And there's also, the Bible tells us, wisdom that comes from below. And God says, as the scriptures say, I will destroy human wisdom and discard their most brilliant ideas. So where does this leave the philosophers and scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made them all look foolish and has shown their wisdom, human wisdom, to be useless nonsense. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world, you know, God so loved the world, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never find him through human wisdom. You'll never find God through the schools of higher learning. I'm, I'm all in favor of education, but you're not going to just find education that in, in, uh, brings you into relationship with God. The smarter we get, the less we think and feel that we need God in our lives. <laughs> And he said here, verse 21, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never find him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save all who do what? They believe. They believe the master himself who is trying to make us into a masterpiece. They believe the creator himself is trying to, to bring about a, a new creation in us. Verse 22 says, 
God's way seems foolish to the Jews because his wisdom was, was like hidden. God's way seemed foolish to the Jews because they want a sign from heaven to prove it's true. And it is foolish to the Greeks because they believe only what agrees with their own wisdom, their human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended. And the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jew and Gentile, Christ is the mighty power of God and the wonderful wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God, that's what some people consider it. If, if, he, if Jesus is the Messiah, if he is the rescuer who comes to deliver mankind, he should have come, human wisdom said, he should have come with royalty. He should have come, came into a palace with, with riches and, and, and warriors and servants and, and so forth and so on. But when Jesus came, it's like God kind of overlooked something. He couldn't even schedule a motel room for the birth of his son. Ended up being born in a barn. That was not by accident. That was by design. Because the people who trust in their human wisdom, they can't stomach that. Because, see, it's pride. We're better than that, you see. It says in verse 25, the foolish plan of God is far wiser than the wisest of human plans. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 says the wisdom we speak of is the secret wisdom of God, which, is, which was hidden in former times. He made it for our benefit before the world began. Secret wisdom is it, it, hidden, and then he tells us where it's hidden at. I mean, it's not something God hides it, and he tells us where it's at, you know. That's just the way God is. Colossians 2, 3, it says, in him. Him is talking about Jesus Christ. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him. And you go, well, he don't look like that. He dresses just like us, hangs around with a bunch of fishermen. You can look at an old, dirty, helpless oyster, but in that oyster could be hidden a pearl of tremendous price. Is that possible? And I am telling you, the treasures of wisdom, that's the most important thing that will cause you to succeed in everything you set your heart to. The wisdom is hidden in Christ. And when I say in him, when you and I are in him, in relationship with him, we will discover the secret treasure that will transform our lives. He says, in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, the, the wisdom is not hidden from us. It's hidden for us. And there's a difference between the two. How many of you here have ever been on or created one yourself, an Easter egg hunt. I watch people have Easter egg hunts and I'm seeing them run around, hiding them, and it's like, you didn't hide that. I see it from here. <laughs> it's right under a little tuft of grass. 
There's a little picnic table. It's hid on the bench of the table. Come on, I can hide better than that. See, people who do the Easter egg hunt are not really trying to hide the eggs from the kids. They're hiding them for the kids, for them to find them. Who wants to have a hundred stinking eggs in a couple of weeks out in the backyard? And God has hidden his wisdom in Christ for us. He wants us to have it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, and this is Jesus speaking. And remember his book. When we're in his word, Jesus and his word are one. There is great wisdom in there. And he says here, keep on asking. Have you ever prayed one time what you prayed for didn't happen and you quit? That's foolish. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. This is Jesus said that. Keep on asking. How long? How long should I keep on asking God? Until. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For, what's that next word? For everyone. What percentage of the population does everyone refer to? 100%. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Are you searching for the treasure of wisdom? Are you? If you're searching, if you're seeking, you're going to find it. Because he's hidden it for you, not from you. And he wants you to know how to pray and get your prayers answered. He wants you to know how to build a house, a home, a household, a business. And he wants you to know how to build whatever you build on solid rock so the storms of life will not cause it to collapse. My Bible says that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his goal, is to ruin everything that we have. But if you're building on solid rock, it will not succeed. The, the, the storm will not succeed against your building. And all it is is I'm listening to what God says, and I apply it. And it's making a masterpiece in you and me. James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If you need wisdom, does that pretty much describe all of us from time to time we need wisdom we 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 need the the good judgment we need to have good sense you know lots of times you refer to somebody who has wisdom and that person's got common sense you know or they might call it horse sense because sometimes horses are smarter than people right so he says here if you need wisdom if you want to know what god wants you to do ask him Duh, that's a good idea. <laughs> Creator, ask him. It's not like he's hiding it. He is hiding it for you. He wants you to find it. How many of you on the Easter egg hunt, after it's all said and done, you still see eggs out there. You take little, you know, Susie by the hand, look around, look around, look around. Look over here. Look right there. 
You want her to find it. And God wants you to find wisdom. He doesn't want your house to collapse because you build it on sand. So let me, let me go on here. James 1, 5, it says, if you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him and he will sadly scold you. Oh, hold on just a second here. Oh, gladly tell you. All right. Ask him and he will gladly tell you. He will not resent your asking. Now, sometimes, some people, you need help and you ask them for advice or help, and they'll give it to you once in a great while. But if you're pestering them every day, they're going like, hey, come on, leave me alone. But God's not that way. You can ask God several times a day for wisdom, and he is delighted to show it to you. It says, ask him and he will gladly tell you. He will not resent your asking. But when you ask him, now, now we're learning wisdom right here. When we ask him, when you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to answer. That's called faith. Hebrews says without faith you can't possibly please God. And he says, those who believe can move mountains. And all things are possible to those who believe. So he says here, be sure that you really expect him to answer. For a doubtful, and you know what the word doubtful means, right? Double. Oh, yeah, God's going to help me. Oh, no, he's not. Oh, God's going to really help me. Oh, no, he's not going to help me. Oh, God's going to really help me. Oh, no, God's not going to help me. Double. Doubtful. And he says here, Ask him and be sure that you really expect him to answer for a double doubtful mind is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Such people, doubtful people, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. If you're going to pray, you might as well act like it's going to happen. You might as well begin to expect it why does all the doubts and the fears and the anxiety come into your mind when you're praying? Because there's an enemy of our soul who's whispering, God can't possibly do that. Not after what I did. God wouldn't do that. It's the devil. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So when you pray, believe. And if you're having this doubt, then confess your sins to him. He'll forgive you and cleanse you. And now you're in a better foundation to even pray. But he says, ask him. And he will gladly tell you, he will not resent your asking. But when you ask, be sure that you really expect him. And faith comes by hearing his word. The more you read his love letters to you, the more you believe it. That's just the truth of it. Okay, picking up in verse 7. Such people, doubtful people, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Hmm. How can we tell if the wisdom that comes to us it's from the world or if it's from God. Well, there's one sure way. If we get familiar with his will, his wisdom here, we'll know. But listen to what it says here in James chapter 3, verse 13. It says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, live a life of steady goodness so that only, only good deeds will pour forth. Does that describe you? 
And if you don't brag about the good you do, I don't know if you knew this or not, but true humility is linked to wisdom. Pride is linked to foolishness. He says, and if you don't brag about the good you do, then you will be truly wise. You mean so pride undermines my wisdom? Yep, it does. Verse 14 says, but if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish, selfish ambition, ambition is good, but not selfish ambition. If you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your hearts, don't brag about being wise. That is the worst kind of a lie that we find ourselves believing. Verse 15 says, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. It's not from above. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and motivated by the devil. Did you know there is demonic wisdom that the devil will put into our minds, try to get it into our heart, to try to get us to act out demonic things, human wisdom, and everybody in the human world who don't believe in God will go, hey, you had a boy, that a girl. Yeah, that's the right way to go. You just leave, you know, we're so smart, we don't need God no more. Verse 16 says, for wherever there is jealousy, envy is in part of that, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder, chaos, confusion, and every kind of evil. Where there's jealousy, where there's envy, selfish every other kind of evil comes along with that package. Verse 17 says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, it's, it's pure, it's, it's holy, you see. It is also peace-loving. Here's how you can tell if the wisdom is from God. It brings peace with it. It's peace-loving. It's, it's gentle. The wisdom, when God gives you wisdom, it's, it's peaceable. It's, it's gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. See, the wisdom that comes from God is, is compliant. You know, it's, it's unselfish. It's full of uh, mercy. The wisdom that comes from above is compassionate. It's, it's forgiving, you know, kind and understanding. It says... It's full of mercy and good deeds. Good deeds is what blesses other people. And then it says in verse, uh, the continuation of verse 17 there, it says, and it shows no partiality. The wisdom of God is not biased. It's not prejudiced. There's no favoritism there. It shows no partiality. <clears throat> and the wisdom from above is always sincere. Always. Now, I read this article. A man named Carl. Carl Coleman. He was striving to work when a woman motorist passing too close to him, she snagged his fender with hers. Both cars stopped. The young woman surfing the damage was in tears. It was her fault. She admitted it. But it was a new car less than two days old from the showroom floor. How was she going to face her husband? Mr. Coleman was sympathetic to the woman, but explained that they must note each other's license number and automobile registration, insurance, and all that. The woman reached into the glove compartment of her car to retrieve the document, send the envelope, and on the very first page to tumble out in a heavy masculine scrawl, 
were these words. In case of accident, remember, honey, it's you I love, not the car. That was a wise man. He had his favorite dinner that night, I'll promise you. Lots of snuggle time with his wife. He was a wise man. Paul Harvey captured that article many years ago. You know Paul Harvey's a believer, and he's with the Lord as of now. But see, that's God's words to us. No matter what's going on in our life, and no matter if we've made a mistake, if we'll go to God, we'll hear him say, hey, I love you more than that. I forgive you. And the God who we serve, is he the God of a second chance? No. We used that chance up long time ago. He is the God of another chance. And he's desperately in love with us. And if you'll hear him speaking to you, he says, I love you. You're so much more important than all this other stuff. And I forgive you. Let's move forward. Let's move forward. Proverbs 18, verse 4 says, A person's words can be life-giving water. Did you know the Bible says there's life and death in the power of our tongue? You tell somebody, hey, when you grow up, you'll never amount to nothing. You know you help create that within them. But when you're telling a kid, you can be anything you want. Life and death is in the power of our tongue. And we're creating the very image of God. And he spoke things into existence. Well, here it says a person's words can be life-giving water. Words of true wisdom. Wisdom. Words of true wisdom are as refreshing as a bubbling brook. Do you think it was words of true wisdom in that woman's glove box? I'm not concerned about the car, honey. I love you. It was a life-giving brook to her. All of a sudden, her anxiety, her fear, her worry just, whew, it was gone. She knew she was loved. Those words transform things. As God's word transforms things, we just must apply them. We, we must apply his word and become the masterpiece that he's creating. It says here in 1 Kings 3, verse 5, it says, That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I'll give it to you. Now, what if God told you that while you're sleeping tonight? And God says, What do you want? Ask anything. What would you ask for? Think about it for a moment. The, you know, a wise person isn't just going to blurt it out instantly, you know. I, I want to win the lottery, you know. Uh, I want a new car, you know. Uh, I want uh, thousands of things you could ask for. But if God was to ask you such a question, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. So says God. Well, as we move on, look at verse 9 with me. And, and listen what Solomon <clears throat> asked for. Give me an understanding mind so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. You know, some people don't know the difference between right and wrong because human wisdom comes in and causes us to think that wrongs are now right. You know. But he said, I want to know the difference between right or wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great nation of yours, Lord, you know? If you'll read that whole chapter there, you'll see Solomon saying, I need your wisdom. I choose your wisdom. 
Please grant it to me. Verse 10 says, The Lord was pleased with Solomon's reply and was glad that he had asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people and have not asked for a long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding mind such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. Verse 13, And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and honor. The most important thing is wisdom. Because when you choose wisdom, you get it all. When you choose other individual items, that's all you would get if you got that. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and honor. And no other king in all the world will be compared to you. The most important thing is wisdom. The Bible tells us it's better than rubies or millions in silver or gold. We studied those passages last week. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us. He is able, God is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare ask or hope. God... Our limitations is, well, God, could you give me, uh, I need 25 bucks today. And God could give you 2,500 or 25,000. You believe that God can handle that? He says here he is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. And then one of my favorite verses in, in the Old Testament is in Psalms 37, verse 4 and 5, and it just says, Take delight in the Lord. Take your pleasure and joy in your relationship with the creator of heaven and earth who is working to create a masterpiece in you. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Plural, desires. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will a wise woman, a wise man makes time for God. Puts God first. Learns, because the Bible tells us we have to learn wisdom. Uh, not just education, but we have to learn how to apply the knowledge that we have. It's just really important. 1 Kings 4.29 says, God gave Solomon great wisdom and understanding and knowledge too vast too huge, too enormous, gigantic. God gave Solomon great wisdom and understanding and knowledge too vast to be measured. It's immeasurable it's so big. Great wisdom he gave him because he asked for it. And he tells us in the New Testament in the book of James, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Verse 30 says, in fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the East and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. Verse 32 says, He composed some 3,000 proverbs, wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from the cracks in a wall. He could also speak about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. He knew the healing properties of all the plants. 
And the kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. All he did was ask. He didn't get all that wisdom in a school of higher learning. You, he, he had all the education that money could buy, but you can't buy wisdom. You've got to ask God for it, and you can learn it. He has packed one book in the Bible especially filled with wisdom, and he's given us one proverb to read a day for a month's time. Well, let me close with one final passage here. In Proverbs 11, verse 2, this is pride. And you remember that's why Satan was kicked out of heaven because of his arrogance and his pride. I'm going to exalt my throne above the most high. You know, I know better than God does. I, I'm going to usurp his authority. It says in Proverbs 11, 2, it says, Pride leads to disgrace, which means open shame, humiliation, dishonor. It says pride leads to disgrace. But with humility, and, and God's greatest promises have been made to the humble. You remember it says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace, his unmerited favor, his enabling power, his riches that Christ paid for, he gives all that to the humble. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility, but with humility comes, what's that say? Wisdom. And it's the most important genuinely the most important so I challenge you today to begin to apply what you learn from God to your life begin to apply it to your life he gave it to you that you would become the masterpiece that he has in mind for you let's bow our heads together Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus, the name that is above every other name, the name that causes demons to flee, the name that has brought healing and restoration to so many. We thank you that the name of Jesus is the only name that brings salvation. And we come to you in his precious name. Lord, we thank you for giving us your book, your book of wisdom. We thank you, Almighty God, for sending us your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you lead us and guide us as we begin to study your words. Help us, Father, not to ignore them. Help us and remind us and show us how to apply what we learn in your word to our lives. Because we know you're working with us. You said so, confirming your word with signs that would follow. So, Father, may each and every one of us in this room and those that are in the balcony and those that are downstairs in our cafe and those who are watching online, may we have an encounter with you that deposits great wisdom in us. As we open your book, Almighty God, may we know we have heard the voice of God. Change us. Cause us to succeed in all that we do in 2018. We are determined to build our house, to build our home, our household, our business, our future upon solid rock by listening to what you say in your word and then by acting on it. Bless my brothers and sisters, Father. May at the end of this year we have awesome testimonies to tell of the amazing power of God that has been in demonstration in our life. We are determined to delight ourselves in you knowing you said you would 
give us the desires of our heart and you would help us in all things. Now as our heads are bowed, I would ask you who are here this day, if you would join me as we reaffirm our faith in Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've never done that or you never were sincere, but would you pray and invite Jesus into your life? Would you move into relationship with him? That's where all the treasures are hidden. Would you pray with me right now? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe the best is yet to come. I believe that your plans for me, they are good and not evil. To give me hope and to give me a future. I believe that Jesus paid for all my sins. And I believe he rose from the dead. And then he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide that door. And I receive Jesus into my life. I'm sorry for my sinful ways. And I choose this day to receive all you have for me. And to walk close to you. I am determined to walk in wisdom in this new year. In Jesus' name. If you prayed with me just now and you welcome Jesus Christ into your life, if you would stop at our connections desk back there, we've got a little gift bag that uh, has a Bible and some other little inspiring uh, things in there that would encourage you. And uh, it's all free. If you're a guest with us, go back there and say, I'm a guest today. We've got a little gift we'd like to give you just to be a blessing to you. And we hope you come back next week. If you have any needs, there'll be people around the altar up here who would love to pray with you. And finally, this is what we do at the end of our services. I'll give you a weekly challenge for this coming week. And occasionally it lasts for a year. But anyhow, if you choose to agree, you check it off and drop it in the tithe box. It says, I will discipline myself this week and memorize Matthew 7, 24 through 27. It's the story about building on the rock or building on the sand. And I believe you can memorize those four verses. So if you go, I'm going to take a stab at it, absolutely, I'm going to do that, check it off and drop it in the, book, uh, in the tithe box. And if it takes you two weeks to memorize it, okay. And if you say, I don't really memorize goods, come and see me and I'll teach you how to memorize it. God bless you. You are dismissed.